Hey, podcast listeners, it's Charles Chandler. We're up to episode number 46 this week, and we're going to, again, delve back into our archives to an episode that uh, aired in April of this year on library management, in which I visit uh, one of the local libraries to find out what uh, effective library management is all about. We've been doing a number of reruns uh, lately because I've been editing my book, and uh, that book is going to be coming out in March of 2017. We'll be giving you some sneak peek uh, looks at some of the chapters in the book in upcoming episodes in the new year. Uh, Meanwhile, um, stay tuned and uh, enjoy this episode on library management. Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is a podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. This is episode number 12 in our podcast series. Today we're going to be continuing our series on government, and in particular city government. Today we're visiting a city library in Kerrville, Texas. It's called the Butt Holdsworth Memorial Library. And I'm joined now by Laura Bechtel, who's the library director of the library. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. How would you describe the uh, Kerrville Library to someone who's not familiar with it? The library serves our community uh, by making accessible materials, programs, and other opportunities which help our residents grow personally, educationally, culturally, and also have some recreational opportunities in our community. Let's, let's go back have, a little bit in history. Uh, when was the library first opened, and, and what uh, sort of changes have happened over the years? Well, the library opened in our current location at 505 Water Street in 1967, and it was a really exciting time for the community because they had been pushing for a, a community library um, for many, many years, and it was a big event. We actually had Lady Bird Johnson um, was here at the dedication. And moving forward, in 2011, the library closed for renovations and reopened on March 31st in 2012. So next year will be an exciting time for us because it will be five years after the renovation, but also our 50th anniversary here at our location. Libraries changed a little bit, hours and times, and makeup of the collection, but currently we are open seven days a week, including two late nights for a total of 54 hours a week. And also next door to us, we were able to bring online the Kerr Regional History Center in the early 2000s, and that is a location that houses local history resources, including copies of oral histories that were put together by the Kerr County Historical Commission. There are interviews of area residents, and we're actually about to um, start renovations on that building to finish out the second floor. It's been an exciting exciting time for us these past five years. Yeah, I had a chance to visit the library last week. Um, thanks very much for the tour. The library is in a sort of architecturally interesting building. It's a round building, and I think the, the renovation that was done, um, as you say, almost five years ago, took some of the areas of the library and 
upgraded them for specific purposes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I know you have areas for young people. Uh, you have uh, areas, uh, let's say, for tapes and video. And, and so there's different areas of the library that serve different purposes. Yes. Um, the renovation um, allowed us to look at how we were currently using the space and then move forward with some trends that we saw in libraries. Uh, one of the things, um, I know you touched upon it briefly, was our teen room. Now, librarians, we, we've noticed that teens are starting to use the library in different ways than any other age group. And by creating them their own space in that teen area, it provided a more welcoming environment for them. Teens primarily use the library for collaboration, uh, school projects, coming together to even just hang out. And that space, which is enclosed within the library, allows them to speak at a more normal voice, to work together on projects, and just hang out without having to worry about bothering other patrons in the library. Yeah. In that space, they have the computers just for them. There are their age group, the, the books are located in that space, and there's table space for collaboration as well as an Xbox system for gaming. I believe the library has three levels. Um, there's the main, the main level, uh, which has the open uh, area for tables people can sit and, and use computers and then they're around the edges I guess where the bookshelves are uh, on the yeah. second level you have a kind of a balcony level which is also open and uh, another set of bookcases and things and then in the basement you have a, a large uh, meeting area when you did the renovation uh, what was your objective there in terms of setting aside uh, and and addressing the needs of certain groups the renovation um, with the project, we actually in the past on that main floor had a balcony that was closed off. No one um, was permitted out onto it. And the catwalk, which is actually just above that, was also closed space um, that were not open to the public. And one of the opportunities that the renovation brought to us was a chance to enclose that area and on the main floor make that balcony into our children's space and that allowed us to bring to our youth an uh, area that is very open, very bright and has enough space for them to move around freely as well. Yeah, it's um, a beautiful facility. Uh, it's also right on the river uh, yeah. and you can look out on kind of a park-like uh, area. In terms of the way that the residents of Irville, use the library. It is a city library, of course, and residents of the county have to pay a little bit to use the library, and others, other people outside um, uh, have to also uh, have certain access rights to, to use the library. Tell us a little bit about how a payment system works. In other words, certainly it's a city library. It's owned by the city. Uh, mm -hmm. It's designed to serve groups in the city, including the schools of, the, of Irville. Tell us a little bit of how you, how you manage, how the city manages that pay model. The Buttholesworth Memorial Library is supported by the general fund of the city of Kerrville. So uh, we are supported by property taxes paid by city residents. And the library itself, we have our own 
department budget that I oversee in conjunction with our finance department. And right now it's a little over $711,000. And That's we, per, per year. Per year. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. And then um, we take care of um, everything from ordering the books to building maintenance and payroll out of our budget in conjunction with various city departments assisting us in, in paying those bills. Right. But I guess what I was asking was, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the residents of Kerrville, mm -hmm. uh, because they're within the city limits and they pay property taxes, uh, mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't pay to use the library. Whereas other folks from outside, uh, how, do, how do you address both their needs and the, the pay model? For the residents that live outside of city limits, um, there is a fee schedule that has been set by our city council to uh, pay for use of the library services. And what we've done is we've arranged it so that it addresses how residents may typically use the library. We have both a monthly card, which is $8 for the month, that allows non-residents to both check out materials and use the computers. We also have two annual cards that allow people to either, if they're only going to use the library to check out materials, um, they have an option of a $35 card to check out materials for the year. There's another one for our non-residents who may only wish to use the computers, and that is also $35 for the year. Or if someone knows that they're going to use both, there's a $65 membership which allows them to use the computers and check out materials. And once those cards are established, they have the same uh, borrowing privileges as city residents. And I think there's also a program in Texas called TechShare where yeah. residents from, let's say, elsewhere in Texas, if they have a, a card, can um, use your library facilities as well. Yes, there is the TechShare program, which allows also our patrons to go out and if they wish to establish a library card at another library. Now, these cards are limited in borrowing privileges. There's only five items checked out at a time, and it is only good for as long as the card at their home library. Right. And they have to have that reissued. Well, given the large amount of information available on the Internet these days in, in various forms, tell us a little bit about how the local libraries have had to take on a new role. The library, in my view, has always been a center of information for the community. So, yes, the Internet does have a lot available for individuals. It isn't necessarily accessible for everybody. We do still have a lot of people who do not have internet or computers in their home, and the library provides an access point, but we also provide the opportunity for vetting of information. Uh, there's a lot of information on the internet, but not all of it is always accurate. And as librarians and the library, we help by gathering resources for members of the community. We bring together databases that have vetted information, but also, you know, we, while there is a lot of information on the internet, we still have over 55,000 55, items in our collection that are print, audiovisual. Um, those hard physical copies are still 
very prevalent. And it's more convenient, perhaps, uh, to come into the library and, mm-hmm. and use those popular items uh, on-site or to check them out, as opposed to what you could do on the Internet, which, as you say, uh, is not always, mm-hmm. you can't really tell the, the truthiness of some of that information. Right, or when it was last updated. There's, there's a lot of variables when you go out and, and Google something. Um, but the library is also a place where we have different opportunities through our programming, um, such as our preschool story time, book club, art programs, and special events that also provide information in what you want to think of a traditional format. It's not book format, but it allows individuals to engage in discussion and exchange ideas in our community. So once again, we're that center of information for our community. I think you also have a program dedicated to the, to the children to um, get them involved in story time and become early readers and to sort of supply some of those needs. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, um, we have our preschool story time, which is really geared for ages three to five. And that program runs September through May. And the children gather together with our our youth services librarian, and um, they read stories, sing songs, do finger plays and self-board activities. And in the summer, we have our summer reading program, which is sponsored by our Friends of the Library group. And that program brings in over 4,000 children each summer. Um, We offer all of the program is free, and we have professional performers come in. We have craft programs. We have activities. And one of the newest programs that we've recently started a few years ago is uh, Reading to a Therapy Dog, where our local um, Humane Society brings in the therapy dogs, and the children have an opportunity to practice their skills reading aloud with you know, probably the most non-judgmental person, which is, which is the dog. <laughs> yeah, I think we were, we were talking last week. The, one of the new roles of the library, I guess, is as a place uh, in the community where activities can be centered. Uh, it's not just a place for books, uh, but it's a place where people can come together and do, as you say, different things like reading to therapy dogs or uh, a variety of other things. I think even your meeting space downstairs uh, caters to community activities. Speak to that just a little bit. Yes, we actually have two community spaces here in the library. One is a small conference room which seats 10 and provides meeting space um, for local organizations. We also have a community room downstairs, our meeting room, which for a nominal fee can be rented and uh, we do have uh, local organizations which use that space for monthly meetings. We also provide that space for training for other organizations or uh, other city departments um, may use that space uh, for training purposes. So this is a podcast about management, and we try to look at performance measures in organizations. Tell us a little bit about how you think about managing a library. What is excellence in library management, for instance? Um, When I think about managing the library, I always look back to our mission, which is to provide means by which individuals of all ages, interests, 
and circumstances may avail themselves, you know, on, on the information, um, wisdom, experiences that um, others have experienced before them. So for me, success in our mission and in library management is continually providing our community with a healthy collection of materials in various formats, whether it's print, audiovisual, electronic, and also including vibrant programming for our community to help further them in enriching their lives. So we look at a couple different um, benchmarks to help us see whether or not we are meeting those goals. And we look at um, items such as the number of patrons we see through the door, the number of items that have circulated, attendance at our programs, and utilization of our resources to help us further identify where we are meeting our goals and also where we may improve. I, I always say effectiveness is about converting supply-side intention, that is what you're trying to do, into demand-side behavior, uh, in, in a sense the uptake, adoption, and use by the um, folks that are uh, that you're serving. So you mentioned a few uh, ways to think about uh, indicators. What would you say are your main intentions uh, over the over the next uh, year or so, and and um, how do you expect uh, to convert those into uh, things that you you would be able to measure? Our main intentions are to increase usage of the library within the community. You know, our, our goals for this year are to continue to uh, meet the needs of the uh, patrons of our community and then to address areas where we may be, there may be parts of the community that we're not quite at the level of service which we want. And how we do that is we will introduce um, new materials into the collection, perhaps new programming, and then look and see circulation numbers, attendance at our programs, and use that to see whether or not we are meeting those goals. Um, I know uh, we, when we were talking last week, you mentioned that as you think about new areas of service, let's say a patron comes in and asks for a specific kind of thing that you don't really have, you, you talk among yourselves, among your colleagues, uh, to find out if that's more of a general interest that can be served by a new type of material that needs to be brought in, or whether it's, it's just a one-off kind of thing. How do, you, how do you vet those new kinds of challenges that might appear from time to time? Um, we have a staff that has, I would say, a large range of experience and knowledge. So we'll discuss, like you said, amongst the staff to see um, whether or not that is something we see as a new trend. Uh, we also have professional resources uh, and professional literature that we can use to investigate whether it's a title or a topic and look and see if that is something that other libraries see as a trend. Um, we can look at other library catalogs to see if they have, whether it's that particular title, that subject in their collection and see the, I don't want to say proliferation of the, of the item you know, the number of libraries which have that item or topic, and then we'll make the decision whether it is something we, once again, wish to add into the collection. Are we seeing other patrons asking for something similar as well? And 
bring it into the collection or if it is something that we don't see a lot of interest in in our community, we can always borrow it from another library for the patron and serve their needs that way. How many staff do you have in, in the library and, and what kind of training do they really need to function well in their jobs? Well, we have full uh, nine full-time staff members and two part-time staff here at the library. There are four librarians, including myself, and the librarians traditionally hold a master's degree that's been accredited by the American Library Association. Uh, we have one staff member who is in the process of obtaining her degree at this time. In addition, librarians can specialize in various fields. Our youth librarian, for instance, has focused her education not only on librarianship, but on youth reading material and programming, as well as early childhood development. Uh, but for staff, you know, our training is always improving our customer service, so we deliver the best service to our patrons. And staff also receives training on a variety of topics, including ethics and privacy in libraries, which is a Dewey Decimal System. I remember we all learned that in, in elementary school and then also um, the usage of library database systems. Well, I, th I think Kerrville has been very supportive of its library, and as, as you look around Texas and perhaps the country, libraries are under attack to some extent uh, in terms of they represent things that could be cut from the city budget or the county budget. But if Kerrville didn't have a library, uh, certainly there would be cost to the residents to have to go elsewhere to find library uh, types of materials. What, in, in terms of the benefits of the library to the community, in terms of uh, economic uh, benefits and those kinds of things, how would you how would you describe what it would be like in Kerrville without a library? I, I wouldn't even want to think about that. <laughs> uh, the library um, provides so many opportunities for our community. We have a lot of resources that individuals might not be able to access on their own in, in their home, such as we bring in multiple newspapers, both area and, and national, including the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. We have a lot of investment resources, um, including Morningstar and Value Line for individuals in the community who are whether growing their retirement, um, managing their funds, and these, these resources are expensive, and we would see a loss of those to the community. But also, you know, the really big part is the library is, you know, we like to say, the great equalizer. It provides access to information to people of all means and all backgrounds, and to lose that to, to the community would be very difficult. Right. We help children, you know, learn that love of reading. We help them through school, through projects. Our story time helps develop, in addition to, to a love of reading, um, fine motor skills, creative thinking skills that, you know, they'll then take on to, to the school age. And just so many opportunities for members of the community to gather and exchange ideas, it would it would be very difficult for a community to lose that. Right. And if, if residents had to travel, let's say, to San Antonio to find mm -hmm. a library, which is an hour away, uh, the cost uh, of that uh, travel, et cetera, can be quite high. In addition, um, there would be a use fee. Absolutely. Because 
they would be outside of the service district for the San Antonio libraries, and that is $200 a year to join the San Antonio library if you don't live within Bear County. Right, and if you were just going to read the Wall Street Journal, for instance, it's not something you could do on a daily basis. No, no, it's not. Well, uh, thanks very much for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, it's, been, it's been very interesting. I will add to the show notes, actually, the website uh, for the library so that people can find more information if, if, they, uh, if they need to. Well, great. Well, thanks very much, Laura, and it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you this morning. Thank you, Charles. It's been a pleasure as well. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. This has been episode number 12 in our podcast series, but you can access all of our podcasts, including uh, all of our previous ones, at our website, ageofoe.com. I hope you'll join us next week when we again explore a story about an organization and its performance. Until then, so long.